The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Good morning, everybody. Well, it was in the 5th century AD that a young man awoke amongst his fellow slaves. He had been living in captivity for six long years. For when he was 16 years old, a band of pirates, the real ones, not the Jack Sparrow kind, they came and, and they captured him and several other young men that lived around him. And they put them on a ship and they sailed them off to another place. And when they got to that new land, they were sold to a very prosperous tribal chief. And that chief forced them into slavery. And this particular man was required to care for the herds, for the people who had captured him, and to live his life in a compound among the other slaves. His life, as he had known it, was over. He was now trapped in a circumstance that he did not choose. Do you ever feel trapped? Do you ever feel like you are in a situation that you just cannot get out of? Maybe you feel trapped in a profession or in a relationship or in a social status. Maybe you feel trapped in a body that's failing you and doesn't work like it once did or in a financial state. Well, this morning we're continuing our series on unexpected places. We're talking about the unexpected places that God chooses to reveal himself to us. And this morning, we're going to talk about the cell, as in a prison cell, a place of confinement where a person feels trapped. Because if you feel trapped in a circumstance in your life, it is quite possible that God wants to use that circumstance to reveal himself to you in a new and powerful way. Well, if you figured out who the person in the story was, the person who's been captive for six years and woke up among the other slaves, it was St. Patrick. It was the person that we celebrate every March 17th and that we celebrate today. The reason I'm wearing a green shirt, the reason some of you are wearing green shirts, and the reason some of you aren't wearing green in protest against the whole green thing. <laughs> or to get pinched, <laughs> like Richard said. Well, on St. Patrick's Day, we do all sorts of things in addition to wearing green. Some people eat corned beef and cabbage. Other people eat all sorts of green foods, green eggs and ham, green mashed potatoes, green milk. People without much imagination or much time might just eat a bowl of Lucky Charms and call it good. <laughs> On St. Patrick's Day, people in cities like Chicago paint, or they make rivers green. And some people who are really excited about the holiday go out looking for leprechauns and chasing rainbows and looking for pots of gold. We do all sorts of funny things on St. Patrick's Day, but a lot of times in our culture, we don't spend much time actually thinking about the guy that the day is named after, St. Patrick. Before Patrick was captured, he was a young British teenager who was rich and had a lot going for him. 
He had been schooled in church teaching, but he much preferred to live on the wild side. And he was even known to ridicule church leaders from time to time. Perhaps some of us can relate to that. But his whole life was changed when Celtic pirates came and they took him and other guys and they sailed off for Ireland. Many people in such circumstances would have just wilted. They would have just disappeared from the world's stage. Not Patrick. His time in captivity actually formed and shaped the rest of his life and empowered him for the ministry that he would be called to live out. And on the night that I mentioned before, that night when he woke up in his cell, he woke up from a dream. And in that dream, he had heard a voice that had told him to wake up early in the morning and to head for the seacoast. Your ship is ready, the voice said. And so that's what Patrick did. He got up and he snuck out before anybody else was awake. He snuck away from his captors and he walked. He walked for several days before he got to the coast. And when he got there, he found a ship waiting. And somehow he was able to negotiate his way on. And he was free, finally, for the first time in six years. But his time with the Irish Celtic people would not end on that day. In fact, it was only just beginning because he would later go back to them and give his life to sharing God's love with them. In the book, The Celtic Way of Evangelism, George G. Hunter III talks about three changes that happened in Patrick during his time in captivity. The first change was that he had a very real encounter with God through his created order. As a herdsman, Hunter says, Patrick sensed with the seasons, the creatures, the nights under the stars, the ever-present winds. In those things, he sensed the presence of God. And so he moved from having a very nominal faith to a very authentic and transformative faith, faith. The second change that happened in Patrick during that time in captivity was that he grew to know, to learn, and understand the Celtic people. He learned their language and their culture and began to identify with them. And the third and most remarkable change was that in time, Patrick grew to love his captors. As he identified with them, he began to hope for their reconciliation with God. And so God used Patrick's time in captivity to give him his mission in life moving forward, to go to the people, the very people that had enslaved him. Now, you need to know something about the Celtic people. They were not what you would call civilized. They were known as barbarians. The Roman church had all but forgotten about them and stopped even trying to reach them. There were many people in the world at this time that were considered barbarians by the Roman church, The Celts, the Goths, the Visigoths, the Vandals, the Franks, the Frisians, the Huns, and the Vikings. That sounds like an exciting time to live. Of course, some of you may be thinking, those sound like the people that attend my family reunions. (laughs) Well, the Roman church had written these people off, but, but Patrick and his apostolic band did not write them off. They went to them. 
where they were, and they did what most people thought was impossible. They reached them. They transformed huge parts of the country of Ireland. It's possible that they baptized tens of thousands of people. They planted at least 55 churches, but one ancient source tells us it was more like 700 churches that they planted. They went to a people that were unreachable, and they transformed their society. And if Patrick hadn't been a captive for six years, he never would have had the opportunity to make such an enormous impact on his world. And we wouldn't remember him today, and many of us probably wouldn't be wearing green Now, Patrick's story is not unlike a story from the Old Testament, the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. And when he got there and things started to look up, he was accused of a crime he didn't commit and thrown into jail. But here's what Genesis 39 tells us. It says that while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And God ended up using that time, that time in prison, to set Joseph up to become second in command in Egypt, only behind the Pharaoh himself. And God used that time to set Joseph up so that he could save the entire region from a terrible seven-year famine. Joseph never would have gotten that opportunity if he hadn't spent time in prison. It seems God likes to reveal himself to people who are living in a cell. Well, our scripture today, I'm going to get to that. Our scripture today was written by another man who was living in a cell, the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was imprisoned on more than one occasion. Once, Along with his companion Silas in in the city of Philippi, he was beaten with rods and thrown into the innermost cell and had his feet put into stocks that stretched his legs and were very painful. It was a short time of imprisonment, but it was brutal. And in Jerusalem, on another occasion, he was bound and he was by two chains and he was put into the barracks. In the passage that we are going to read in just a minute. Paul once again found himself in prison. It was during a two-year imprisonment in Rome where he was under house arrest and guarded by a Roman soldier and that he had a light chain restraining him. And here's what Paul said while he was under house arrest. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. 
God's word for us today. And they're remarkable words because they were written by a man who was under house arrest. You know, people who feel trapped, whether in a literal prison or in circumstances that just feel like one, have a myriad of responses. It's not always like Paul's response. People might respond with self-pity and just feel terrible, down in the dumps. They feel sorry for themselves, and they look at other people and what they have, and they, and they go, man, I have it bad. They have what I might call the Eeyore complex. Do you know Eeyore, Winnie the Pooh's friends? And he's always kind of down and I'm sad. Nothing works for me. People might respond with self-pity. They might respond with just despair, just utter hopelessness and feel defeated. They might feel frozen with grief and that they can't do anything. Or people might respond with a sense of worthlessness, like the chains that are around them, the, the things that are constraining them are keeping them from living a life of any meaning or any value. But when Paul was imprisoned, he didn't respond with any of those things, not self-pity, not despair, not a sense of worthlessness. He said he was content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, whether restrained by chains or walking free. His circumstances didn't change his outlook on life. And for us, circumstances are everything. If things are going well, then we are on top of the world. And if we feel like we are being restrained, like we're being held back, then we feel terrible about ourselves and about our world. If you're living in some sort of cell today, in some sort of situation, you might be thinking, there's no way that I can feel contentment where I am right now. But Paul would beg to differ. He'd say that there is a contentment that does not rely on circumstances. But you can't find it on your your own. You can't find it by yourself. Paul said, I've learned the secret. And he shares it with us. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul learned to focus his attention on the Lord within his cell. And in so doing, he found a strength that he could not find on his own. And it transformed his perspective. Here's how focusing on the Lord within our cells changes everything for us. First, Instead of self-pity, it leads to self-surrender. It leads us to surrender ourselves to Christ. Now, self-pity is counterproductive. It, It leaves us kind of stuck in the role of victim and looking at everybody else and just feeling worse and worse about ourselves. Self surrender is different. It empowers us and it brings positive things in our life. Now, for many of you, you may be thinking, I, I don't like that word surrender. It, it has very negative connotations. <laughs> In uh, just a couple weeks, our youth director, Cameron Zank, is going to take some kids paintballing. And I'm hoping I can go with them because I love paintballing. <laughs> 
One time I was playing with a group of people and we were playing on a field that it was just trees and trenches. And so each team started on opposite ends and we both, when they said go, we both started running and we'd hide behind a tree and then we'd jump in a trench. And then we'd hide behind a tree and we'd jump in a trench and we'd move up the field that way. And it was going great until I hid behind a tree and then I jumped in a trench and there was somebody from the other team already in it. (laughs) And I looked at him And he looked at me, and I was not ready at all, and he pointed his gun at me, and I said, I surrender! (laughs) He waited about two beats, and then eh, he shot me three times, bang, 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 from five feet away. It hurts. (laughs) So I chased after him. Fortunately, I I couldn't find him. I couldn't catch him, and and it was fortunate for both of us that that didn't happen because I was upset. (laughs) But when we say, I surrender, it's usually a sign of weakness. It's a sign that we have been defeated. When you surrender in a paintball game or on a battlefield, it can make you feel weak. Conversely, surrendering to Christ is a sign of strength. It's similar to the other kind of surrender because in both cases you acknowledge that you cannot get out of your circumstances alone. But here's where it's different. When you surrender on a battlefield, you are surrendering to an adversary, somebody who wants to do you harm. When you surrender to Christ, you are surrendering to an advocate, somebody who wants the best for you, somebody who wants to strengthen you for the days ahead. So the first way that focusing on the Lord changes things is it moves us from self-pity to self-surrender. The second way focusing on the Lord changes our circumstances, or at least our view of them, is that it moves us from despair to hope. We were um, singing a song earlier that said, I can see the light before I see the sunrise. That's hope. Living in a cell doesn't mean that life is over. In fact, sometimes we really don't start living until we get in a situation that we can't get out of on our own. Richard Blowers was up here just a few minutes ago, our parish assistant. And this week when we were talking about this passage, he talked about the prison ministry that he's been a part of and how sometimes the very best thing that can happen to somebody is to be sent to prison. Because when you're there and you're confined, you have a lot of time to think and reflect and realize that a lot of the decisions that you've been making have not been the best. People, when they're in prison, can find new motivation, and often they even find God. Ironically, it's when people come to their most hopeless place that many of them experience true hope for the first time. Because that's when they turn to God because they have nowhere else to turn. Hope says you're not alone in your cell. There's someone there with you. Hope says that there's more to reality than the physical surroundings indicate. And hope says that you will experience true freedom, the freedom of Christ, in new and powerful ways. And the third way that focusing on the Lord changes our response to difficult times in a cell 
is that it replaces our sense of worthlessness with a sense of purpose. Now, there are many prisons that people live in that can make them feel worthless. And some of those prisons have a way out, but the way is hard, and it takes courage. And it takes asking for help. Perhaps you're in this type of position. Perhaps you are living in a cell that is an abusive relationship or an addiction. And in order to find your purpose, you first need to take a step out of that cell by asking for the help that you need. And you need to hear the words of Philippians 4.13 one more time. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. But there are other prisons that we can be in that don't have a way out, at least not yet. Circumstances that we're stuck in, and they can leave us feeling like we have no meaning or worth. And you need to be reminded that purpose can come even within the cell. St. Patrick never would have found his purpose in life if he hadn't lived in captivity. And God allowed Joseph to spend some time in jail so that he could live out his purpose in that place and time. The Apostle Paul wrote four letters that we now have in our New Testament in the Bible while he was in prison. Not just Philippians, but also Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. They were all written from prison. So these people... Their lives weren't worthless because they were living behind bars. They actually gained more meaning and more purpose from the time that they spent there. And God might want to do something similar in our lives too. He might want to use our personal prisons as an opportunity to give us purpose and meaning like we've never known. He does it all the time. He uses people who've dealt with the prison of addiction to minister to people who are dealing with it and are in the throes of it right now. He uses people who have lived in the prison of a relationship to serve people who are living in relationships that feel like prisons right now. So focusing on the Lord from within our cell, it moves us from self-pity to self-surrender. It moves us from despair to hope. And it moves us from a feeling of worthlessness to a sense of purpose. So when we feel trapped, let us fix our gaze on the Lord. Let us surrender ourselves to him and find hope and purpose in that unexpected place. Because God is bigger than ourselves. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I'm astounded at the ways that you choose to use adverse circumstances and to lead us into new meaning and new purpose through them. I pray for those who are living in a place of confinement that feel trapped, that you would give them hope and purpose that you would enable them to look to you in the midst of that cell. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.